everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 63. We got a loaded podcast with a special guest today, Tom Bogert, joining us, an old friend of mine from a couple years ago um, when I was interning at this uh, SNY is just like this uh, Sports New York uh, network. Matt's familiar with it because he's in the area who is also mm-hmm. with me for the episode that we're just going to have at a little bit on the front end and a little bit on the back end. But the Tom Bogart interview is going to be taking up uh, most of this episode. But just before that, yeah, it's just it's just a great episode. There's so much insight on MLS, Team USA, all the talents coming um, and it's also just great for a lot of people that are fans of just, you know, European soccer. There's obviously Salzburg is mentioned in this episode as well. And just some of the top talents that might be linked with some of the top clubs over here, not over here, over there in Europe. Um, so it was obviously such a great interview. Um, we're recording this part afterwards. We just wanted to touch upon, you know, some of the things that happened in European football um, first round of champions league matches. Um, El Clasico was this weekend. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo has still not returned um, from his COVID absence. So, I mean, there's just so much going on, Matt. I think we should just start off with El Clasico. Barcelona, I mean, this is just, I, you know, again, this is just the body language that we were talking about in previous episodes. It's just, how can you expect Barca to just, you know, be successful and win trophies this season when we know there's so much looming over their shoulders. There's this dark cloud cast amongst the club. We know they have the elections coming up. There's the Messi. Is he staying? Is he not? Is he only here because he didn't want to sue the club and because of all the, all the financial figures that were involved. Real Madrid, not even off to the greatest start either. Um, Real Sociedad's at the top of the table for La Liga, but it's a huge win for Real Madrid. This is not the best performance from Barcelona. Messi is just, I mean, it's just not the same vibes at Barca. This is just like, you could tell the downturn of, you know, cyclical football. We talk about it all the time. Like, you know, Milan, Liverpool, Manchester United, they're all, you know, they're a little bit on the come up now. Obviously, Liverpool much different, you know, Inter, same stuff like that. I think this is, again, another sign of this is the decline of Barcelona. I'm not saying like a nosedive because it's a completely different situation to the others that we were referencing. Matt, this is just this is just not the same, and everything about the club you could tell is just it's not clicking. It's just not working, and they really can't fix anything because firing a manager has proven to not be the solution. Yeah, I think you know this sort of result. I mean, everyone looks to you know the derbies to kind of be that sort of motivator, that driver, right? Maybe that that season defining match, right? And you know we talked about it with Milan, um, and you know they got the victory over Inter, and now they haven't really beaten Inter. Um, and feels like forever they get the victory and you feel like it's one of those things where if you're able to beat your rival who's in a, a better position some would say than you are then you could, it's a good it's a good measuring stick to see where you're, how ultimately how far off or how far ahead you are to your to, you know to your rival and with this one you know a 1-3 defeat to Real Madrid of uh, Valverde with the scoring for Real Madrid Fatih responds quickly after then it's Ramos yeah. and then it's Modric with the goal that kind of put the icing uh, on the cake here for Real Madrid to get the, the victory here. And look, you look at the actual formation that Barcelona put out four four two. I mean, Dest, this, that's probably the biggest highlight in this game was is the first American to start in El Clasico, which is huge for, for the U S soccer, but it's also a, a great opportunity and a great accomplishment and achievement overall for Sergino Dest to get this opportunity to, to play in such a big and one of the biggest sporting events 
that's not the World Cup um, in, in the world. So, you know, big, big shout out to him. But yeah, you look at the lineup and it just, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem as though it's um, conducive to getting the results, getting the sort of um, consistency that, that, that Barcelona need that they can play consistently over a span of X amount of games. It seems like it's one of those things where you look at all the players and there's on paper, there's a ton of talent here. I mean, you're looking yeah. at Busquets, you got De Jong, you got Coutinho, you got Fati, you got Messi. And on the bench, you got guys like Griezmann, you could throw on Usman Dembele, who looks like he could be healthy this year. Fingers <laughs> crossed, because we all know what kind of talent he could be. And even yeah. Trincao, who they just recently purchased. So it, it's, there's talent here for Barcelona. We, I think it's, they're never not going to have talent. But whether or not that talent could come together and play Barcelona-like football, that's going to be the biggest thing this year. Because ultimately, you can have all the players on the team sheet you need that kind of jump out. But if you're not playing, you know, cohesive and, and getting the results that you need, then it's going to be more heartache for Barcelona going forward, which could eventually lead to the exodus of Lionel Messi, which many people thought was going to happen last summer. So uh, this is a, definitely a defeat that, that definitely hurts for Barcelona fans. How they respond will be big. Um, can they turn the corner? I think they possibly could, but do I think that they're a team that's um, you're know, going to be able to throw themselves around, assert themselves in the Champions League, and be a favorite? Remains to be seen. Yeah, and we'll talk. We'll talk about another team right now, real quick, before we head over to the interview. We got about five minutes or so with this, but listen, another team that has a good amount of talent, but doesn't play together as a team so far. And we saw it during the COVID break as well as Juventus. Um, they get the 1-1 draw over the weekend against Verona. Paulo Dybala finally starts. Doesn't start midweek in the match against Kiev. They end up winning that 2-0, which is a good sign for them. And they are in the same group as Barcelona, by the way. Cristiano Ronaldo is still not back from his COVID. Um, Juve, again, when you look at them, and I've said this and I tweeted about this, and I don't know if you wholeheartedly agree with it, but whenever you watch Juve the past... 12 months, we're going on like almost 15, 16 months now, just because everything's moving by so fast. Mm -hmm. This club and the way this team plays under Sari and now Pirlo, um, because they have similar philosophies, they're not identical, but they have similar, you know, foundations to it. This is a team comprised of individual brilliance that needs to get them points. You know, draw 1-1 against Verona, where in reality, they're only really missing Cristiano Ronaldo as the big name in this. And even then, they have more than enough, Matt, to win these matches. Even the draw last week, the Crotone. Crotone as well. And these just are not great teams. Mm -hmm. The 2-2 draw against Roma as well, when Roma's still missing some guys um, as well. Um, And we know, like, on top of the injuries, they're not – like, Juve should still be beating them. And we understand, you know, there's red cards from Chiesa, Rabiot. It doesn't matter to me. Like, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, you should be winning those games. Like, if you lose to a Napoli mm-hmm. or an Inter or Antalanta, you say, okay, we kind of get it. But at the end of the day, when we see time and time again when Hugh is at the top of the league with the highest wage bill, we're like, in reality, there's no excuse as to why Juve shouldn't mm-hmm. be winning the league every single year on top of the talent that they have, on top of the coaching that they've had, albeit the coaching, you know, I give them a little bit of a pass, right? You have a new manager again as your third manager in three seasons now. Pirlo is a first-time manager. I'm not going to give the excuse there because they went out and they went to go hire this guy. So there's no excuse. Like they were the ones who got rid of a guy who won the title. We've seen this before years ago. I don't believe they made it to the Champions League final that year, but we saw Juve on the outside of a Champions League spot in November, Matt, and this was after a few matches, but they ended up winning the league, obviously. 
I'm not mm-hmm. saying Serie A is not as weak as it was then. It is much stronger now, as we've highlighted multiple times. But they have enough to win this league. I still think they're going to win this league. Unless I'm, you know, we're somewhere in January and we're, we're seeing like Juve is out like seven points. Then you could be like, okay, maybe, maybe not. This, this Juve, it doesn't, much like Barcelona, it doesn't seem like they've fully fixed their problems. There's still a lot of question marks that you have about this team. Mm. And for me, again, at the end of the day, the goal is Champions League. And to me, right. watching them play right now, this is not a Champions League winning squad. This is like the way they're playing together. You know, you could ride the coattails of, of Cristiano Ronaldo. And they did that last year in the past two years when they're in the Champions League. He's scoring every goal possible. It's everyone else is not picking it up. And again, you know, it's a Luca Pellegrini's league. They're getting, you know, you, you, you 23 kids that are getting up and getting their debuts that haven't played for a club like Juve or even first team level football. It, to me, I just – I'm confused of the direction that they're in, and it's not translating on the field. And I know Dybala hasn't been playing every single game for 90 minutes. and I haven't seen Cristiano Ronaldo playing every game yet, but that's still not an excuse for the matches that they've dropped in points. So, I mean, you take away the rest of this before we head over to the interview. With Juve, I think there's – look, there were sort of expectations coming into this season when you appoint a manager with no experience in Andrea Pirlo – that you're going to have your your bumps and bruises. You're going to have possibly a rough start, despite the schedule not being overly difficult to begin. I mean, they got the victory over Samp 3-0, which was a pretty comfortable win. They drew Roma 2-2, a match they had to come back and forth from. The the, the 3-0 victory over Napoli, which, you know, you can take it for what it is, but they didn't play well, the game, yeah. and you don't know how that would have gone. So who knows? Maybe Napoli were going in there the way they're playing. Um, coming out of the international break, they come in there and they actually give Juve a beating. It's, it could have been possible. I'm not saying Juve would have lost. I'm not saying Juve would have drawn. I'm not saying one outcome would have happened over the other, but I'm just making the point. And then you get draws back to back against Crotone and Verona. And obviously, you know, we know Verona came into last season as uh, the overlooked team underdog, but they had a, they overachieved, but they lost players. And I think you're looking at it, if you're from a Juventus fan's lens, thinking and saying, we got to beat these teams. It's, it's not us losing or dropping points or drawing to the Romas, the, the Inters, the, the Milans of the world. It's, it's these games. And this sort of start is, I think, what most people had to have at least expected. I mean, if you're a Juventus fan, are you saying, I expect us to trounce every, player, every team to, to start the season? No, because given the circumstances of COVID, given the, the limited time to have Pirlo come in here and um, – make his footprint and, and kind of establish what he wants to establish as far as the system and philosophy go, you have to expect some sort of um, difficulties. Now, look, take a Ronaldo out of the equation who you mentioned saved them at every turn last year. I feel like he's scoring. I think it was like 17, 18 straight games, something like that. Yeah. He set the record. I don't, After I, don't, I, don't start, think, I don't think they're specifically Ronaldo dependent. Yeah. Like they can't win games without Ronaldo. I'm not saying that. Because Dybala carried them clear. Too. We know we know Dybala is a fantastic player, but there's yeah. things going on with him too. He's mm. playing games, there's contract things that they want to resolve, and Morata looks pretty good. So there's pieces of this Juve squad that do look very strong. We all mentioned what their deficiencies were in the, in 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 they were off that episode where we did with we were recapping this summer. But you look at the midfield. The midfield, in my opinion, is marginally better. I like Arthur. I like what he could provide. I think Rabio with a full season after the move he made to PSG uh, the, the previous summer. I think there's there's a, a good squad here, a team that's going to be well you know, with within striking distance or eventually, in my opinion, win the title. But I don't. I would if you're a Juventus fan and you're Juventus in general, you don't jump off the deep end 
you know, the, you, you kind of piece this together. As you mentioned, it's a long season. You know, a couple of years ago, or maybe four or five years ago, Juve were mid-table, below mid-table. I think Roma and Napoli had such great starts, and Juve came roaring back, and they seemed like a like an impenetrable force and wound up winning the league. So I still think Juve are the favorites. I think a lot of this comes with the territory of hiring Pirlo, and I think it's just going to take time, and that's something that Juve fans are going to have to stomach and take. Now, you hope it's coming at this point in time and they can wake up for Barcelona and, you know, some of the other matches coming up, they, they seem pretty light before they go to Lazio. So we'll have to wait and see, but I think Juve will be okay. I think the talent will prevail when they get everyone back healthy, when all those coming back in that there's that sense of motivation, that sense of elevation in their performances that I think will come with his return to the squad. Yeah. Um, look, it's, it's just going to take time with Juventus, but if the narrative is once again for the rest of this season or throughout the season that, you know, that we were saying a lot last year was like, just wait till they have a cohesive, you know, team win where everyone's playing well on the same day. We didn't really see that. And if it was, it was a couple of games. It wasn't really um, something that we saw multiple times, like at least 10 matches. I don't believe that was the case. I think a lot of it was individual brilliance by, you know, you know, a few like, defense playing well in certain games and all that but at the end of the day yeah um it's going to take time with this Juve luckily for them I don't think anyone's gotten off to that amazing of a start yet um they're still obviously being on a suspect in our eyes will to to an extent because we just have to see it for a full season and this is before they play Roma so we'll see what the result is there um and then eventually whatever happens with the Napoli game um which would have been in Turin so they still have to go back for uh to the San Paolo but yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, we'll keep track with it, but we're going to head over to our interview with Tom Bogert right now. Everybody enjoy it. It was such a fun interview to do. Um, here it is. All right, everybody. We're here with our interview portion of the episode. We have a very special guest, and uh, I, I guess I wouldn't say old friend of mine, but uh, but a friend from not too long ago when I was interning at SNY, but uh, MLSsoccer.com uh, insider, Tom Bogert. Tom, how you doing? It's great how we've crossed paths like this after, uh, you know, it's actually over two years now. Oh, my God. Everything just goes by so fast. But how are you? How you been? How's it going? Thanks for having me. It's nice to uh, take all of the conversations we had at SNY computers um, and bring it to a podcast. I, I think I think that'll be beneficial. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good thing they don't really know we weren't. You know, I was asking some questions about, you know, being PA production assistant, but we couldn't help it because whenever I had my shifts, we had Champions League on and it was right when because you're a Liverpool fan as well. So it was right when Liverpool is just having their resurgence to the top of the world. And it's just it's just crazy everything, because I remember you were telling me that you had your sister's wedding the day of the Champions League final. And it was, you know, out of the two Champions League finals they made better off that you missed a, yes. a portion of that one opposed to uh, the Spurs final. But that's not truly what we have you on for today. We're going to have you on for U.S. soccer, MLS soccer. Um, obviously, you're an insider. And if you see Tom's um, Twitter account, we were just talking about this before we started recording. Um, he, You were breaking news all over the place now. And I, I've seen you everywhere. You're doing fantastic with everything. So, yeah, let's talk about the MLS season, right? Um, obviously, Carlos Vela made his return. Um, 
Obviously, Joseph Martinez, um, obviously not able to play this season with the torn ACL. Um, we had the MLS's back tournament to restart everything from COVID. It was just so much going on. Um, they're going to f- be finishing out this season. They've been doing so over the past uh, few months. But what has your overall you know, impression been about this reboot, considering everything going on? Um, yeah. Honestly, the fact that only one team has really had their season impacted by COVID. Um, and, and even then, like Colorado, they're back now and they're going to, you know, they won't play all 23 games. I, I can't possibly imagine, but they're, they'll probably get enough where they might be able to make the playoffs based on points per game. The, the league hasn't decided or at least hasn't announced what they're going to do. But, but my biggest takeaway is the fact that baseball had, what, four or five teams like severely impacted by COVID, when, whether it's, was uh, the Cardinals and Marlins and and, then a few others Um, MLS had one and, and you don't really have the chances to make up the games that you do in baseball. We can just play double headers all the time and and do what they did with shortening games and stuff. So the fact that the league were kind of able to, you know, get through this and knock on wood, God forbid something, you know, worse happens moving forward. But the fact that we're here where we are right now, I thought that it was going to be, you know, a lot more speed bumps, you know, a lot more bad headlines, a lot more unfortunate things happening with just everything in the world. So, you know, just like anything else in 2020, the, that has to be the first takeaway it has to be COVID related, but, you know, moving past that the season, I think has been re- uh, pretty good, you know, all things considered. Um, obviously there's been a few more injuries like in all other sports and all other soccer leagues around the globe, um, just because of all the games and, and the lack of, I guess, recovery between games and flying in, to these markets day of the game um, and everything that comes with that with the heavy legs and, and say the the style of play or, or the, the quality of play being, I guess, a couple percentage points down. But honestly, like some of these games, you watch them and, and, and you wouldn't know that this was all going on if not for looking in the crowd and seeing nobody there. So, you know, honestly, maybe this is just too optimistic of an outlook, but my, my expectations and, and, and hopes would be, you know, pretty low considering everything that's going on. And, and, and I think that the season has been, you know, really solid, uh, all things considered. Yeah. And you even have to take into account that we have uh, an expansion team involved in this. Like you can't even just imagine what Miami has to go through considering because they Miami and Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I was drawing a blank on the other one. So I just <laughs> Miami's the first at the top of my head, but yeah, I mean, look, it's just on top of that, the difficulty of just, you know, just starting up a new club in general and then, you know, getting to this point. Um, yeah, I think it's been a major success and you're right. This is not, you know, one of the top leagues over here, obviously in terms of all the sports that we have. So the fact that it was such a major success when, you know, they got in right before, right as baseball was starting to. So the time for and, and basketball, the time frame was just perfect. Mm-hmm. Execution was great. And you know what? I mean, just hats off to the MLS because, you know, say what you want about a few things about them, because there's obviously the critics. We know that over here, but I thought overall they did a good job. But um, Matt, you can go um, take it from here. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously with the, with the seasons being kind of back in swing, obviously barring, you know, certain dilemmas and issues and ongoing concerns dealing with COVID and more positive cases, we still have for the time being, uh, regular soccer slash football content on our television sets or streaming on our computers, which is, is which is a great thing. Um, I, Tom, Tom, a couple of players I, I guess I want to you know chat with you about, um, and I know one we before we even went live we were kind of talking about them. And he was kind of like a late inclusion in there, and you were really excited to kind of speak on him. Um, Brendan Aronson, 
course, he, he made a, he's going to be making a move to RB uh, Salzburg in January from Philadelphia Union. Uh, there's some comparisons to Kai Havertz, of course, by Leverkusen. Uh, Starlet from last year made the big move to Chelsea in the summer. So I guess talk to uh, the, the audience about Aronson, what type of player he is, um, what Salzburg fans can expect and anticipate from him. And pretty much, I guess, what, what his ceiling would be, because I think there's a lot of people listening to this, ep- to this episode and our previous episodes when we really hone in on Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer, and they want to know who the, the next guy is, the next Davies, the McKennies of the world. Like these guys that are, you know, one way or the other have come or started through Major League Soccer or U.S. Soccer and have made headway um, on European soil. So, yeah, Aronson's a good one. And, and it's, He's one of the stories that I think a lot of people gravitate towards like now because he was he was somebody who never made a youth national team camp, let alone made a debut with the youth national team. He wasn't one of these dudes. It was at the U-17 World Cup and the U-20 World Cup and the Olympics. Like he got his first call up just to the senior net U.S. national team last year. Like he, did, he didn't uh, hadn't been involved in any of the youth national team camps. So he's one of these really cool stories where it, he kind of came out of nowhere. You know, people in youth circles, maybe we're talking about him a little bit. Um, they didn't know that he'd even be this good, you know, just people around the union obviously did once he kind of hit like a growth spurt or whatever. He's always had this, the, the Kai Hoberts, um comp is probably a good one for, for people just, I guess, in, in the simple, simplest form. And, you know, he, he doesn't have the, I guess, goal and assist numbers that, that Havertz did with, mm-hmm. with Leverkusen in, in his last year before he went to Chelsea, but he's just this, all action, you know, tireless attacking midfielder. And before getting to his ceiling, I think the the best thing you can say about Aronson is that his floor is really high because of his ability to be a ball winner at in in central midfield. Whether it's mostly at the ten, it's super super valuable. But worst case scenario, he his his final end product doesn't develop at all, which it will. But the worst case scenario is if it doesn't at all, he's going to be a very useful box to box number eight midfielder. But if and when that, that final pass and that final shot uh, continues to develop, which this year it, it's, it has a lot. Like, it, it's gotten much better. And that's not to say that he was bad or useless in the final third last year. But it's just to show that you got to remember he just turned 20. And, and this is his second full season of starting for, you know, an MLS team. And like, like you said, you say what you will. Like, obviously, Leverkusen and Kai Havertz, that was a, a much higher level, a borderline Champions League club. And I think he, he played in it a little bit, um, for, if I get my timeline right here. But there aren't many 19-year-old starting center attacking mids at this level. And, and you could call MLS probably a, around the 10th best league in the world, whatever it is. There aren't that many. And there's for a reason, because it's not an easy position to break into as a young player. And he's been awesome. And he's he's grown. And, and Salzburg can kind of expect a Salzburg player, for lack of a better term. He's, you know that he's going to run like hell. He's going to press like hell. He's going to win the ball. He's going to play vertical. He's going to play direct. And he, he's going to kind of slot in on in their 4-2-2-2 at, at, at one of the attacking mid slots. And, you know, this isn't a fair comparison or a fair thing, but just fact is a fact. Um, Red Bull Salzburg bought Erling Holland for uh, $9 million from uh, whichever Norwegian youth club he came from. They're, they're spending – uh, up front, six million with potential add-ins that can rise to nine million for Aronson. And sources have told me those add-ons are probable. So Philly are expecting it to be nine million. That's how much they paid for Aronson. So that's how much that they value this kid. And you can mm-hmm. tell me that my opinion doesn't matter because the grand scheme of things it doesn't. But Salzburg don't spend this kind of money on on anybody. You know they don't. And they're they're recognized as one of the best 
um, developing clubs and, and one of the best clubs with an eye for young talent. And, and they believe in Aronson. So you should take their word for it over mine. It's a classic case too of, of, you know, <laughs> the RB model of, of, of doing things, you know, Salzburg, all these early sorts of clubs that have just, you know, whether it's Germany, whether it's, you know, Austria, whether it's Norway, they all just seem to be emerging right before our eyes as a, like a true landing spot for, you know, U.S. players, right? We obviously know the, the uh, U.S. migration to German football with you know, Pulisic and, and just the list goes on and on. But, you know, you see guys like you know, Aronson going to a team like Salzburg who have obviously emerged um, as a club. They have, you know, several top players in their squad already. They, we, we've touched uh, quite a bit on Dominic Sabazlai you know, who's destined to make that, that big, big move very soon. So Aronson can be one of those guys that goes in there. And to your point, you know, it, it's not every day that you see a club like Salzburg, you know, kind of be willing to open up the wallet a little bit more to make a signing. A lot of these clubs tend to rely on mm -hmm. um, low cost, you know, acquisitions that they can grow, mold to be the players that fit their system and then eventually reap the rewards of a, of a significant sale down the line. So I think that, you know, Aronson is going to be a really fun watch, um, not just for, you know, U.S. fans, but even those who want to get a little more of a grasp on, well, how does the U.S. player stack up to the European player, the everyday player? Because I think that's always been something that I've always thought about, right? Because people will ask me, well, how's the quality of MLS, right? We know they have these designated players that come in, you know, the the Joseph Martinez and Miguel Almarones of the world and, you know, Carlos Velo. Some of the players are established. They come in there with already a little bit of a track record in Europe. So it's tough to kind of use them as, as a fair model. But these guys that are coming through the system and that are U.S. born and bred, being able to make that next step and that, that big leap to the, to the European stage. And I think that's what's going to be really fascinating to watch is with Aronson. Um, a couple other players, I guess, I wanted to, to touch on. And I know Martino mentioned off the top. Um, with LAFC, you know, you know, getting Carlos Vela back, their captain, their first you know, acquisition when they came when they came a club, they got that 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 Uruguayan contingent there. Um, five for one, I love always love Diego Rossi ever since he arrived from Panerol a couple of years ago. I think he's a wonderful player altogether. Um, but would you agree with me, or I guess maybe not agree with me about Brian Rodriguez perhaps having a higher ceiling just for the simple fact that he's actually getting starting minutes for the Uruguayan national team. So, so I guess speak a little bit more on LAFC's um, emphasis on that South American market and what they have in Rodriguez, Diego Rossi and um, Francisco Janela. Yeah. LAFC have, um, they kind of took Atlanta's model and mm -hmm. kind of pushed it up a couple notches on the dial. Like they have um, off the top of my head, I forget if it was five or six players that played at the most recent U20 World Cup, um, and that's no small feat. Like, that's it's really awesome, the, the level of talent that mm -hmm. they've been able – and the, the cap gymnastics that they've been able to do to get some of these, you know, rising young talents. And, and they've had their network set up in South America since, you know, whenever the club was announced, um, long mm -hmm. before they started playing. So they, they already have deep, deep roots in South America, and they're starting to reap the benefits. Um, when it comes to Brian Rodriguez specifically – to speak to his talent, um, we, we just rolled out our annual 22 under 22 rankings, which is just take the best players that um, are, are under, obviously under 22 in the league and, and rank them. And two years ago, Alfonso Davies was number one and, and um, uh, Tyler Adams was number two. And last year, Diego Rossi was number one. So, so these are like legitimately great players or great young talents that, that are at the top of this list. So it's not just some, you know, power rankings or, or internet thing. Um, we have uh, staffers like myself, as well as 
um, anonymous technical directors across MLS voting. So again, it's not just my stupid opinion. It's, it's people, people who matter and who know. And I say all of that to say, uh, Brendan Aronson was voted number one this year, but I, and, and Brian Rodriguez was too. I had Brian Rodriguez number one for mine because I just think that that talent is, is just too alluring. You know, as you, as you alluded to, he's getting minutes for Uruguay. He's not just getting minutes. He's the starting winger for the Uruguayan national team for fifth or sixth in the world right now in FIFA rankings. Like, he hasn't had the end product yet in MLS, but all of the underlying analytics, all of your, your eye tests, every time you watch him, you're like, wow, if this dude was finishing at not even an above average rate, just, just bang average, just like an okay forward, he would have so many goals. Um, and, and in this team, he's going to keep getting these chances. And if he's not transferred to say, I'd imagine he, he would go to Syria, just he seems like a player who would fit there. But if he's not transferred to Europe or when he is transferred to Europe, if it's for anything less than, 15 or 20 million, I, I'm going to be surprised. Like that's how good his talent is. And at, once he kind of puts together that, that final ball, he, he could be like an MVP level player in MLS just, just based on the team he's in. And if, you know, when Vela was out, uh, we all expected kind of Rodriguez to step up and, and kind of gobble up all those numbers. And he, again, he hasn't been bad. He's been good. It's just his talent makes you think that, that he's somebody who could be, you know, he's good. He, he could be somebody who's a starter for the Uruguayan national team for a decade. Like, this is a legitimate global talent. Yeah, uh, I actually remember just earlier, um, right before the restart in Europe, I know our club, because Matt and I are Milan fans, he was getting a link to them. And this is before, you know, all the all the playing and the minutes that he was getting for this season. So even then, you could just imagine what the interest level is going to be after mm-hmm. this. Um, so, I mean, it's, again, it's just so impressive because I don't think a lot of people really understand how many people live in Uruguay in the first place. Like, it's not a heavily populated country, and they just constantly churn out these talents that are just phenomenal. So, you just add him to the list. I think it's just great to see, and especially in, in the major market that's in L.A. And also, you know, LAFC on top of, you know, L.A. Galaxy. I think it's also just great for MLS. It's just a side note that we have, you know, a city that has two really well-run clubs. So I'm going to have to press back on well-run clubs when it comes to the LA Galaxy. (laughs) Well, well, historically, historically, (laughs) they have the historically, I'll go with the general, you know, thing, you know what I'm saying? Let me give you an anecdote real quick about where the Galaxy have slipped. Uh, Two years ago, they signed a center back, uh, Michael Ciani. They didn't scout him once. (laughs) They they took an agent's work. (laughs) And watched a highlight clip and signed him. And then he was horrific. So, so oh you know, God. then they hired a new GM not long thereafter. So, you know, you'd expect things to change. But, again, and not to go off on a tangent, but last year they were they were okay because Zlatan Bihamovic uh, scored or assisted like 70% of their goals. Chicharito <laughs> was supposed to be that. And I'm not even giving them crap for signing Chicharito because I think any of us would have done that. But yeah. they, they are like cataclysmic defensively. And they didn't sign a center back. They signed Emmanuel Nsua as a left back, who's a solid signing. But if you if you you needed to have two upgrades at center back, and they got neither, so you know that that would be chief among them why why um, they're struggling this year. Hey, you're not gonna see me cry over spilled milk for you know LA teams. They they have plenty, especially when you know I live over here and root for the Mets and Jets. So I'm not really gonna feel bad for people living over there. But um, we'll move we'll move on for that real quick before we head over to the player profile. 
someone over here in this area, obviously this is just the name that you keep on seeing everywhere. These goals are just absurd. And I was hesitant at first to believe everybody when they were talking about him because they're like, what a special talent. This guy's amazing. Because sometimes it's hot and cold when, when, when you talk to MLS and Team USA fans because I had a conversation with a guy once that was trying to tell me that Zach Steffen was a better goalkeeper than Ederson and was going to start for Manchester City. So, like, that's that's why I'm always hesitant to when, when I'm talking to some people. But they said Caden Clark is amazing, and then you just start seeing some of the goals, and you're like, okay, holy shit, all right, maybe maybe they got a point here. But if you could just speak to Caden Clark before we move on, I mean, we know we don't want to drag on too long because this guy is, like, the, the name right now. Mm-hmm. Um that everyone's talking about but again just like another talent in the area youth team and it's just it's just crazy from where we were just a few years ago prior to the 2018 world cup and the outlook for team usa you know a couple years later you know basically when we were talking right before at sny it's a 180 pretty much with the talent that's coming up and i mean just again caden clark if you could just speak to him real quick yeah, so um, I'll, I'll start with the talent and, and Clark being, you know, yet another like extremely like, high potential, like talented, like looks looks like, a, you know, someone who's going to be a really good player. And, and again, he's played 194 minutes in MLS, so I don't want to, you know, heap too much on him. But there have been a number of people significantly smarter than me to be like, no, like I was trying to hold out on the hype, but I was like, no, this kid's different. Um, and you kind of see that the way he plays is just, it's not even the goals either. It's, it's just kind of his all-around game. But the the academy model, finally got real investment a decade or so ago, whatever it was. And we're starting to reap the benefits from that because this kind of crop of young talent, Gio Reyna was produced by the NYCFC Academy. He didn't just spend a season or two there. He, he was there for X amount of years because his they're dad- like right down the block from me. I live in Purchase. So <laughs> this is like their training grounds right here. It's insane. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you're good. So, but Weston McKinney is a product of the FC Dallas Academy. He was there for six, six or eight years, you know, mm-hmm. like, he, these aren't guys who just, like Tim Weah spent a season at the Red Bull Academy. Like I don't right. know. He was yeah. produced elsewhere, but there are so many talents being produced because the Academy system has, has went from non-existent to like some of these clubs are elite with how they produce talent. Like FC Dallas, Philadelphia union, the Red mm-hmm. Bull, like Caden Clark is not from, like he's not from the area. Like they found him in Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota United weren't doing they're, they're you know, doing back job. We, yeah. we, we tried to sign him to a homegrown deal. Yeah, after he was already in the Red Bull system because <laughs> got a chance of you. Like, the Red Bulls and, and Philly have done this really well. Sporting Kansas City have done this really well. You know, Sporting KC's best prospect, Gianluca Busio, he's from North Carolina, and they got him to come to Kansas City and, and a homegrown fight. Like, Kane Clark is from Minnesota. Like, Philadelphia has a couple guys from Florida that, you know, they weren't on the radar of Orlando or obviously Miami, who just started with their academy and everything. But that is, like, these players don't get found. 10 years ago, yeah. 12 years, years ago. And like Clark played for the Barcelona Academy, the, the residency rather in, in um, Arizona. Like that's a relatively new thing too. And then the Red Bulls hired um, a, a, an Academy. Uh, I forget if he was the director at the Barcelona residency, but they made him their Academy director. And he immediately said, this Caden Clark kid, you have, we have to get him in our, in our uh, program. And that's what they did. But him individually, you know, he, he jumps off the screen because of those goals. And the, the Red Bulls Academy director, Sean McCafferty, was, was talking. He's like, look, like, that's not one of his strengths. Like, that's one of the things that we've identified that he needs to work on and improve. Like, he's so good because of his his vision, his, his engine, his the way that he plays on the half turn and, and the way that he, you know, can feel and manipulate space. Like, that's why, like, he's a prospect. And, like, somebody was joking that, like, yeah, if, if, if 
shooting is something he needs to improve on. Like, I'd love to see one of his strengths, you know? Like, so yeah, this kid is really looking like the real deal. And again, he's, he's only played just under 200 MLS minutes, but he was in the USL championship with the Red Bulls second team for uh, about the season or uh, less, less than the season, maybe half the season. And he still finished as their uh, leading assister. And, and like, even though he got called into the first team in, in August or whatever. So yeah, Look, he seems like the real deal, and and I don't want to you know push the hype train too far because it's it's already you know well out of the station. But I'm um, I'm really looking forward to watching him develop. Tom, real quick before we go to the um, sorry, Martina, but real quick before we go to the player profile, um, are there any other players that maybe we haven't mentioned yet, or that have made moves? We mentioned Aronson, mentioned Clark, you know Rodriguez, you know some more familiar um, names. Are there any players that? in this current season of MLS or maybe the next season that you can see like this kid is like special. He's destined for the, the big step uh, forward to Europe or South America. Do you see any other players in MLS right now that we maybe haven't been mentioning, but that other people should keep an eye on? Oh, there's plenty. And, and it's fun now because there's a number of guys who have kind of already been on the radar for a few years. So I guess starting there, Paxton, well, Mark McKenzie, I think is going to be the next one to go, the, the Philadelphia Union center back. Right. It's been reported, um, and, and I've been told the same. Celtic are genuinely interested, um, but they never – They, I don't know if it was Celtic. Somebody made an offer, and it wasn't to Philly's liking, and, and there has been no counter offer since. But Celtic are definitely extremely interested in McKenzie, and, and I'm saying right now I'd, I'd be shocked if he's in MLS uh, starting uh, the first game of next season. Um, Io Akinola from Toronto FC, he, he burst onto the scene this year. He's uh, technically eligible for – three countries the united states canada and nigeria i, I think he's going to represent either the u.s or, or canada because both both federations are, are very hot on him but he's been awesome he's, he's stepped in for josie out the door and and he's been great and it, and it gets another one of those where it's like you don't want to you know uh pump a lot of like he what if it was just a hot stretch but but he's shown a lot more than just like mm-hmm. getting a few tappings here or like catching a few nice shots like he's again another legit prospect and Paxton Pomichol is one that we've kind of forgotten about this year because he's been hurt all year. Um, mm-hmm. There's a little concerns about him being injured or injury prone, but he's on the rate. Like he, the front offices of AC Milan and, and Arsenal are, are interested in him. Like, like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's genuine. And like when, when clubs like that are looking at players like that, like in, in the league like that, that tells you enough about his, his potential and his ability. Like maybe he doesn't go to Arsenal, maybe he doesn't go to Milan, but like, Again, he's going to go to Europe at some point, and uh, barring injuries, he's going to be a very effective player. Yeah, it's, it's finally nice to hear that there's a center back because we just constantly <laughs> have all these midfielders too, and you're just kind of – I'm kind of I'm, – I'm at the point where I'm kind of getting worried, like, where are we going to start playing all of these guys? Because there's just so many positions that, like, can, you can only fill with them. So, I mean, but again, I, beggars can't be choosers. Like, <laughs> finally, that's a good problem to have for Team USA outside of everything. Um, yeah, so this is the moment that everyone's been waiting for. This has been Matt, I think it's been months since we've had a player profile. Um, so Tom, go ahead, take us away, tell us a player you want to profile this week and just give us the rundown. I'm gonna stay away from Caden Clark just because he's uh I'll let everybody else do the talking on him. Um I'm gonna go with Orlando City uh center forward Daryl DK. Um and for those who either don't know the name or don't know anything about him, um for the rest of everything I say, just think a 20 year old Josie out the door in, in, you know, play style and, and stature. So this kid went to, he grew up in Oklahoma and, and, you know, tying the theme back before of the, of the Academy stuff, 
there's no there's no academy like near professional academy near him where he grew up so he's he was a bit of a raw prospect he goes to the university of virginia he's there for two seasons and you look at him in college because again he think josie out to do a strength that body type and like it was looking it was, it was like a man against children some of these highlights you just see him just struggle off a center defender who just gets uh you know shouldered and then falls over and you know as you guys well know <laughs> Um, the college soccer game, particularly, you know, at the D1 level is predicated a lot on athleticism and strength too. So watching him just kind of dominate physically, is like mm. pretty wild. He comes uh, going into the draft. He wasn't the consensus number one pick because everybody looked like he might have the highest ceiling, but it's like, well, he's a little raw. Like we don't know if he's one dimensional in just that he's going to be this physical and aerial threat. You know, he's not goal hungry enough. Maybe he doesn't make the right runs. And, you know, I still think he should have been the first pick, and I'm not even saying that with hindsight. I just thought that his potential was too much uh, to pass up. But Inter-Miami had the first pick. They went with a different forward. And picks two through four weren't going to take a forward. So DK fell to number five in Orlando, which ended up being the perfect situation for him with um, Oscar Perea as the head coach formerly of FC Dallas and academy director and everything. He's one of the best in this league at at developing young talent. He got, you know, a a stroke of luck um, on top of earning his chances, uh, but Orlando weren't very deep at forward as it was and the starting center forward got hurt um, and he was already unconvincing as it was the backup was okay and then DK got his chance and, and he's been their unquestioned starting center forward for one of the top six teams in MLS this year and getting into the way he plays like he, he's just a physical specimen he, he, he came right into MLS his first goal was just throwing a, a, a strong center back off of him and it looked like one of his clips from college and it was like oh my god like this dude is already among the you know top five physical presences uh, in the league, and and he's he's an aerial threat. He's not overly tall, but just the way that he he moves his body and uses his body, he's, he's always going to be that. And again, like if he doesn't develop anything else, he's going to have a long career as a rotation center forward who you can put in at the end of games when when you need you know an aerial threat. Um, but he he's starting to show this year uh, through development, through the coaching staff, and, and through his own work that. His, his IQ is a lot better than people give him credit for in college. And the way that he fit in with this Orlando team and the runs he's making and the space he's opening up, I think he has, you know, five goals now in, in, in about 13 yeah. or 14 appearances, which doesn't jump off the page. But it's the eye test thing, too. And, and the head coach, Oscar Pereira, was talking about this, that, you know, he's, he's improved significantly in reading the game and knowing what runs to make and how he fits into our tactics and what we're doing. He's been really, really great. And, and the more goals are going to come. But, again, a rookie for somebody who – you know, a lot of, you know, draft experts thought might be a little raw and, and might not figure into the rotation is somebody who's already, you know, a starting center forward in this league. He was recently voted number 10 on the 2222. And he's right in front of Louis Binks, who's already sold to Bologna in uh, Syria. And he's right behind Gianluca Busio, who sporting Kansas City turned down a $4 million offer from Fiorentina this offseason. So again, that's just more context for, you know, the potential this guy has. And when you look at the center forward pool for uh, the national team, he's got a chance over the next few years to be somebody who kind of jumps in, you know, Josh Sargent kind of hasn't taken off like we all hoped. And he's obviously still young too. So there's plenty of time, but it's not like he's this heir apparent the way that Gio Reyna is. Um, And so DK is going to figure in there. He's probably going to get called into whenever we're able to have camps again, he'll be with, you know, the U 23s and maybe he'll get a chance to be at the Olympic qualifying team. But He's somebody that's definitely one to keep watching and, and the way he progresses and going back uh, just to land this plane here, going back to how him being a raw talent, he, he wasn't one of the guys who came up through these academies. So there's a school of thought that thinks, well, 
if he developed this much in his first year under professional coaching and the, and the jump he took from his freshman year to sophomore year at Virginia, maybe he has this n- another leap to go that he, that he wasn't able to take during his teenage years because he never played for an academy. He never had this professional environment. So, you know, let's see how he does the rest of this season into next season. And, and, you know, right now his, his potential is, is pretty high. Yeah. Um, obviously it's very exciting again. I mean, just, all the names, you know, off the top of your head that you could just list and describe. And it, it, it's great that you know so much. It's awesome to just, you know, it's just so positive now with Team USA. I still, it's, I'm not used to it completely yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just always have this like fear in the back of my head that like, okay, something, something like these kids won't get cold up. Cause I think there was some stat I saw when they were talking about top European um, players from from Team USA, and they listed the four, and it was like Oguchi Onyewu and and uh, Sasha Kleschen and and Jermaine Jones, and you saw the clubs that they were playing for, like, eh. and then yeah. all of a sudden they fast forward to like you know twenty twenty, you're like, yeah, that's a completely different you know roster, and also considering all the players that are playing at certain clubs, it's just phenomenal. But Tom, we'd like to thank you so much for coming on. Um, obviously, the profiles were amazing. Uh, MLS news is fantastic. Why don't you let everybody know where they could find you and your work? Um, obviously, we, your byline is just insane. <laughs> There's so many tags in your bio on Twitter. <laughs> Too but, many. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and uh, let everyone know where the best place to find you. Yeah, it's MLSsoccer.com. And, and as, as you guys just joked, you'll, you'll see my name there <laughs> daily and, and, you know, too many, too many times. But there and just, you know, Twitter at Tom Bogart. All right. Um, Tom, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on. Tom. Um, hopefully we can link up uh, again soon. Maybe we'll link up at uh, football factor. If Milan make it back to the champions league, Liverpool <laughs> somehow link up. Like we gotta, we gotta sure. do an episode meet up uh, over there in the city or something like that. But um, guys, we're just going to head over to the end of the episode right now. We'd like to thank Tom for coming on and uh, we'll be right back. Yeah. Thanks for having me, fellas. All right, everybody, that was a real fun interview we just had with Tom Bogart of MLSsoccer.com Insider. Such great insight on so many top American talents, players, MLS teams. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's really funny on how he was uh, – the, the LA Galaxy conversation there. I was just speaking in general. I was going to push back, a, too, on that, too. Like, when you said I was like, historically, yeah, they're a team. Well, they're all, well, in many yeah, ways, well, Galaxy like, are kind of like – they got the legacy of like a, yeah. of like a if you want to compare it to, I'm not going to say it's it's comparable to Milan or you know Real Madrid, yeah, but they're like one of, of the teams league, that has the most yeah. the most titles. They're they're the one of the original teams that you feel like they're dominant. They should always be competing for the titles. That's so the first team they, they, you think of in MLS. Yeah. yeah, and then they've had so, some rough goes as far as the decision making, management, the, you know things like a top. So they're kind of going through like their little banter era, if you will, and maybe they're putting to putting it together quicker mm. than Milan did but yeah definitely a great great interview with Tom Season I actually it. got the notification he followed me so I got to reciprocate there show that love but <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm definitely yeah. excited for uh for you guys to get more of this content down the road but make sure you guys follow Tom he's, he's a great source he's going to be giving you everything you need as far as MLS talents are concerned and we know there's plenty um are that are going to be coming into Europe uh, in, in the next couple of years yeah and a big Liverpool fan as, as well um so it, it's it's it was uh I was kind of I felt that because I didn't get a chance to talk to him after my internship was up at SMI. I, I forgot to like go get link up with him and all that. And, um, and I was like, Oh, I was watching the final with Liverpool and Real Madrid. I'm like, Holy shit. He's at his sister's wedding. I was like, good thing. He's not watching this because, oh, no. because, uh, he was, 
he I, i'm pretty sure he was um a groomsman as well for uh or he was in the wedding party i think he was telling me but yeah i'd be so checking the scores man i'd be i'd be seething oh my god i'd be yeah, seething making my best man H- imagine making a best man speech and you have to like know oh that's in goodness. the back of your mind like this yeah. guy just had two howlers in that yeah, and i have to make the best man speech at my we're, yeah we're, we're here we're here for a wedding but sergio ramos is oh the only thing on my mind right now um but yeah that that's our episode we really appreciate all the support that we've been getting from everybody the feedback uh on everything pet will be back next week obviously we'll have the three of us it was so great to have another player profile once again uh look out for all the headliners subscribe to us on youtube follow us on twitter instagram facebook page like us there give us a five-star review um listen in uh to past episodes current episodes there's a really bright future for um U.S. soccer, um, especially for all the teams out there that are looking for some of the talents. Um, RB Salzburg, once again, you know, just getting a coup there. Um, hopefully turns out great for them and Aronson over there. And Matt, we'll just let yourself plug right before uh, we head on out here. Sure. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. I uh, just recently began writing as a lead Milan writer for football. Congratulations. Italia. So it's thank you. Thank you. It's uh, definitely great to be back with them. I've contributed in the past so you're going to be seeing a lot of regular content from me after every pretty much every single one of their games in the uh, Serie A and Europa League so definitely a fun time and exciting time to be involved with them and of course I'm going to be in the upcoming volume eight of the scouted football handbook I'm not going to reveal which player I profiled go support them show them the love you guys can either buy the individual books or you guys can subscribe to their annual subscription which pretty much gets you all the magazines that reach that um, get released quarterly yeah, it's just awesome to see you writing again these opportunities. Again, you deserve it more than most people do um, that have been writing for such a long time. And I'm, I'm glad you finally get these opportunities and you're reaping the benefits for it. Um, obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at Martino Pucci. You could also follow Pet at Pet Barisha. Um, I'm basically, I guess I'm just going to keep on rolling with the Milan post-match um, analysis. Do it. I mean, we're just getting like so many people joining in and um really appreciate the support from everyone i understand you know we try to keep it the top five leagues and everything but you know it's getting traction so i gotta go with it i cannot accept uh this for the podcast and twitter account we're closing in on two thousand followers hopefully we get that um sometime by mid-november hopefully you know like a veterans day let's right. get to two thousand followers by veterans day you know have a nice celebration here for the state of play podcast download call of duty uh black ops cold war play a little Nazi <laughs> zombies, you know, get some things going. It's a very exciting time. Like the holiday season's great. Uh, the only thing that Matt and I are fearing are our families asking us about girlfriends, which is married to the game right now. And state of it play used play. to be that with Milan playing against like some below average team and me kind of sweating it out. Like while my family <laughs> looks at me and says, why are you so upset? Or like, what's going think, on? With I think day? they and have I a Europa League match on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I kind of snuck away, watched the game. And I think Milan, I think they won. I forgot which They did, match it they was, did. But... Andre Silva scored. They were, I forgot yeah. who they were playing. Andre Silva scored that weekend. And my, and, uh, my uncle came in, who was a Lazio fan. He's like, Milan fucking suck, man. I'm just like, all right, all right. And he's like, you're not wrong. So, um, yeah, so... Thank you guys so much for all the feedback. It's going to be a real exciting next few weeks of football. I'm not really looking forward too much about the international break, but the rest of it is all great and fantastic, as well as the Champions League matches as well. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, take a listen to some Joaquin.